Before the episode begins, I'd like to tell you about the Science for Care podcast. Science for Care is an audio series produced by HealthTech for Care, an endowment fund committed to support and promote access to care for all patients. Each episode takes a concise look at some of the major advances in medicine, mRNA vaccines, antibiotics, gene therapy, the metaverse, and many more. The production is meticulous, the narration captivating, and the guests are true leaders in their respective fields. If you listen to Impulse, then you'll be for sure interested, so don't wait any longer and go listen to the first two seasons of Science for Care. The basic idea was that we tokenize health information to interest people in uh, health data because what I realized all along in research was that everybody is after health data but the only one who's not really interested in health data is the patient him or herself. People that you're offering it to they want to participate in and that they want to contribute the data. And uh, that's really what we hoped for. People have to question themselves, does it really make sense to build something on blockchain at all? Is it not much easier to, to build it uh, in a traditional centralized way? Welcome to Impulse, the podcast where you will meet the person shaping the current medical advancements and pushing the boundaries of what is currently achievable in healthcare. Be they researchers, doctors, engineers, or entrepreneurs, we will explore through in-depth conversations their field of expertise, as well as the journey that took them where they are now. Good morning, Eberhardt. It's a pleasure to have you here for this new episode of Impulse. Back um, in June this year, I had the chance to attend a session around Web3 and decentralized health at Hims Europe, which you moderated. I was fairly new to all the topics um, presented there, but I found the session extremely interesting. I did not know actually that some of the aspects of Web3 could be relevant to healthcare, and um, I thought it could make up for a very interesting conversation. So I'm really glad that you accepted my invitation. I believe we'll get to talk about blockchain, the, the DHealth Foundation, of which you are the president of the board, and which is driving many health-related projects in this space as well as all the relevant applications that this technology can have in, in that particular domain. Um, I really look forward to hearing your thoughts on these topics, and I'm very curious to learn more about them from you. So before we jump in, would you like to, to present yourself? Yeah, good morning. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, as you already said, I'm the president of the DHealth Foundation, which is a typical crypto foundation in the Crypto Valley in Zug in Switzerland. But uh, I'm, I mean, you cannot study crypto. So uh, I'm a psychologist, actually, by training, a clinical mm -hmm. psychologist who worked in research. And uh, so the dealings with health data was uh, always something I was involved with. I was also head of uh, e-health at the University Hospital in Zurich. So that was before my life in crypto. And uh, the way I entered uh, the crypto world was very much by accident uh, because one of the founders in Crypto Valley, they uh, asked me um, 
if I could do something around healthcare and uh, blockchain. So I was thinking how that could be applied. And actually, and probably we get to that, I had uh, many eye-opening events around that because very often in uh, healthcare, the incentives of the stakeholders are not aligned. Mm -hmm. And blockchain is something that can deal with that quite well. So that was my way into uh, into blockchain and also crypto, of course. And and when was like the first time you encountered that concept? Because I think, for example, when you talk about like Bitcoin, this goes back to two thousand nine. Uh, were you like a very like was it as early as that or a bit later? No, actually, the first time I really got uh, exposed to that was two thousand thirteen. Uh, I attended like. Uh, a lecture around blockchain at the ETH here in Zurich. Uh, and so I was totally fascinated. And the reason why I went there was uh, because I wanted to introduce my youngest son to like the world of uh, digitization, blockchain, and digital money. And he was not interested back then. Uh, now <laughs> he is, but uh, I got totally uh, interested in that. And Really, the starting point for me getting serious about that was 2016, uh, actually the end of 2016, mm -hmm. when we also were talking with some of the Ethereum uh, guys uh, about applying blockchain technology for healthcare. So, and 2017, November was actually the year when we founded the foundation uh, mm -hmm. officially. Uh, so, 2017 was basically preparing the idea. And the basic idea was that we tokenize health information to interest people in uh, health data. Because what I realized all along in research was that everybody is after health data, but the only one who's not really interested in health data is the patient, him yeah. or herself. So they only care if they get sick or somebody they know uh, is sick. And then they start thinking about how, where does it come from? Do I have it myself? Is it in my genes? Yeah. But nobody really, and let's be honest, even now, nowadays in the age of patient records, who of us has a digital health record, yeah. which would be like a representation of our interest in our health data? Um, I don't know many people uh, that have it. Yeah, so. and it's more like, yeah. I mean, in the case you need to, as you mentioned, when you're faced with, you know, getting into that topic and you, you face all the issues that are currently um, going on. Um, we've, we've never actually got the chance to talk about the, the concept in former episode, and it's probably something that many listeners are not so familiar with. And could you could you explain to us in, in simple terms what, the blockchain technology is about and, and how it works? Yeah, I mean, if you look at the simple concept of blockchain, I uh, just have to look. It's a distributed ledger technology. That means mm -hmm. it's uh, not just one representation of, it, uh, of data being in a digital form in a data bank. It's like multiple copies Uh, of that data uh, that sits in a distributed network of nodes and each node runs a total copy of that chain of blocks. Mm -hmm. And so the distribution of it makes it hard to uh, falsify. So if you have one malicious partner, you have the majority of the nodes that say, no, the 
that data that you try to add to the uh, to the chain is malicious. So we are rejecting it. So that's basically one of the basic concepts. The other one is what is a block? I mean, it's a chain of blocks, and mm -hmm. what is a block in itself? And uh, every time you have transactions that you want to put on blockchain, um, you you uh, write it. Uh, or you send it to a queue, and once the queue is full, in Bitcoin, for example, you can take only a few uh, transactions per block in Ethereum more. In the modern blockchains, you can put thousands of transactions in one mm -hmm. block, and one block is generated, uh, for example, every, in our case, every 30 seconds, and you can include uh, two and a half thousand transactions in one block. And what is a transaction that you want to write on blockchain? That can be that I send you uh, a certain amount of tokens or uh, I scan a package of uh, a medication or a vaccine mm -hmm. uh, at a port, entering a, at a port in Africa. And that's an event that I want to record on blockchain. Mm -hmm. And once an, uh, the block time uh, is over, the new block is generated and all, everything that you have queued up for being written on blockchain then is being uh, written on the blockchain. And uh, it's not only written once on a block uh, on the blockchain, so but since there are multiple copies of that chain, it exists in different uh, copies of the chain uh, online. So um, kind of confusing, I know, but uh, it's actually very simple. Uh, you writing something on a block. It's included in the chain of blocks, and due to some cryptographic uh, uh, algorithms, it cannot be changed backwards. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. once it's there, it cannot be uh, changed again. So that's why it's uh, immune against falsification. Yep. Nobody can uh, manipulate the data. Uh, and that's basically one of the key functions why you use blockchain, because data cannot be manipulated and in the case of public blockchains um, it can be accessed and checked by everybody uh, mm -hmm. if you have the keys you can uh, decrypt it some of the transactions are totally public like uh, sending um, tokens back and forth and that's the transparency uh, that's the second aspect of the chain so everybody can look at it and check it what's the single source of truth Mm -hmm. And um, it's being applied in a couple of uh, scenarios, which we talk about later uh, when we get uh, to how can it be applied mm -hmm. uh, in um, in healthcare. But it's basically writing transactions on a public ledger that everybody can look up and check whether or not uh, uh, this is corresponding to uh, what for example, I have on my computer. Mm -hmm. um, and it probably becomes much clearer if you talk about, for example, supply chain cases that, uh, or vaccine certificates where it's being used to check whether or not information is true or has been falsified. Yeah, I think it's actually a good, a good segue because I was about to ask, so what are like, you know, the, the main applications um, in, in healthcare that, um, you know, you got to, work on uh, through the DHealth Foundation or that are also known, um, you know, in a general way? 
Yeah. I mean, one thing that we have to um, keep in mind when we talk about applications for blockchain in healthcare, that one of the key features is also the decentralization. Mm -hmm. One of the problems in healthcare is that data is very siloed. I mean, my yep. patient data sits in a hospital or in an insurance data bank. And I usually don't have access to that data. Um, yeah. So it's different silos. And that's one of the fundamental problems nowadays. And if you talk about the difference between blockchain technology and some call it also Web3 technology is that really the difference is nowadays when we talk about Web2, we have data centralized in silos and it's hard, uh, very difficult to access it. And you cannot very often control who is using that data or if people are actually uh, manipulating the data. And if in the Web3 world, uh, and that's also the, the, uh, the segue to how it's being ap uh, applied, um, the patient or the user, let's talk about the user because, mm -hmm. I mean, not everybody's a patient. We also talk about uh, data that's being collected in everyday life, diet, fitness data, which is not as um, uh, sensitive as like hardcore uh, yeah, yeah. medical data. And there it's very important then that the Web3 approach uh, where you use blockchain for is that the patient is controlling the access to his or her data. And that requires also that there must be a place where the data is stored, where I am uh, the gatekeeper uh, to yeah. the access. And everybody who wants to use the data, for example, has to uh, ask me as the user, as the custodian of my data, uh, for permission to access it. Um, and there you really have then the case-by-case uh, -case consent uh, to access the data. And where it's being applied for many years now um, is Estonia. Uh, Estonia. We all heard about uh, patient records uh, in Estonia being on blockchain. That's actually not exactly true because <laughs> the patient record itself is not on blockchain because it wouldn't make sense to replicate uh, such large data sets multiple times on the blockchain. And actually that's one of the problems uh, associated with blockchain that it cannot handle large quantities of data. So it's not really scalable in terms of okay. size of data and also the numbers of transactions uh, that it can process. But what it's good for, and that's actually how it's being used in Estonia, is uh, you manage, as a patient, you manage the access to the data. And the second really important aspect is that you guarantee the integrity of the data. I mean, one of the reasons why Estonia uh, started to use blockchain is uh, that had to do with, uh, in the 90s, when they are uh, became independent again, they were already afraid that maybe uh, the Russians were trying to hack their digital yeah. systems and how very, actually, um, uh, actual um, nowadays, <laughs> but uh, they use blockchain to guarantee that uh, 
data is not being tampered with so that they yeah. can prove the integrity of the existing data, which is actually in healthcare quite important because if you think about um, data is being recorded uh, on a case-by-case -case basis. So I'm uh, if I'm sick, I'm... Um, I'm receiving a certain treatment, I'm uh, scheduled for certain types of surgery, I take yeah. a certain medication. And of course, if that changes, I get a medication that's not really matching my, my, my treatment. So that can have serious consequences. And that's also why nowadays, uh, even apart from blockchain technology, um, hacking hospital systems or health data in general is such a big problem. It's not so much they're stealing the data and exposing it. It's they are change can change the data without knowing it. And then in the end, it can become a life threatening situation because you're taking medication, uh, that is um, not meant for you or you're taking much higher dosages. So which can cause serious problems. So the integrity of the data is a very important aspect and you can um, actually guarantee that through blockchain. And how do you do that? Because if you hash, that's a cryptographic method of uh, representing large data sets. If you send the large, for example, you take the whole Bible uh, and send that text through an algorithm uh, that has a certain uh, outcome, let's say that's 25 characters and the generation of that characters depend on the initial data that comes in. So in that case, the yep. whole Bible. And uh, if the Bible is the same text all the time, the hash is always the same. Mm -hmm. But if you change one letter in that Bible, then the hash is totally different. So, And that same principle is being applied. Uh, securing health data on blockchain is that you have large data sets, even pictures. You hash it and you write that hash on blockchain. So to verify that later on, you check the hash and it's being the same. Uh, so that means the data has not been falsified. Mm -hmm. uh, all along. So that's one of the very essential applications of blockchain in healthcare. And probably the second most um, uh, popular application of blockchain in healthcare is uh, logistics. And why? Uh, mm -hmm. We are actually also doing some logistics project. Uh, one uh, is with the Swiss Tropical and Public Health Institute in Basel. It's uh, vaccine tracking in Western Africa, uh, in this case, it's uh, rabies uh, vaccines, mm -hmm. because what happened is uh, those vaccines were uh, donated and very often they disappeared and nobody knew where they what disappeared. Mm -hmm. uh, so what you do with blockchain is uh, each package has a QR code um, and then you write that QR code on blockchain. And then um, when you ship it, the next time, for example, it arrives in um, uh, in the country where it's meant to be, then it's being scanned again. And then it's being shipped to the medical center where it should be applied, then it's mm -hmm. scanned again. And then uh, when it's applied to the patient, uh, then it's scanned again. So uh, every scan is written uh, as an event on blockchain. Yeah. And then everybody who is part of that project can check actually by reading the blockchain that's publicly available 
where the, uh, mm -hmm. the package is at the moment. And to kind of keep the privacy, of course, uh, it's again, what you write on blockchain is a hash. And uh, those parties who are uh, part of that uh, supply chain project, they then they can decrypt the hash and really see what the original meaning of the data that's yeah. behind that. And so it's a very uh, easy uh, way of having one uh, truth that everybody uh, in the, along that supply chain can refer to and, and add on to that. And you don't have to build up a very expensive um, IT infrastructure, mm -hmm. which is a key advantage in uh, emerging markets uh, or markets that are not so digitized. So it's very easy to share information without having to build very expensive infrastructure. And so that's why even for cash-rich um, companies like Pharma or MedTech, they, they like uh, the concept of blockchain because for them, uh, it's very um, straightforward to follow up on uh, their, their the packages they're sending. And they cannot even guarantee that, for example, the very expensive uh, drug that you shipped uh, is still the original, original drug that was being manufactured uh, in the plant. So we all know that uh, forging a uh, very expensive medication is a very big business. The margins are much higher than in drug trafficking. So it's very attractive mm -hmm. to sell false medication to ill people. And you can actually prevent that uh, with blockchain because even the patients, the end user can check whether or not this is the real thing or not. Mm. I see. And going going back to the example you were giving about Estonia and so the personal management of one's health record. Um, so to make sure I understand it correctly, so the the Estonian citizen they they own their you know their health record and they just enable you know to mod like not to modify but to add elements to it through the blockchain health system. Is that correct? Like if someone wants to change the medication that's written down on your current record, this is enabled through blockchain. If you are being prescribed with something, this is also enabled through that. Is that the correct way of understanding it? If someone were, yeah, that's, that's true. I mean, um, owning the, the record, I mean, the data still sits uh, in like, hospital controlled environments. But okay. if somebody wants to access the data um, uh, about you or add to it, uh, you get notified. And in some mm -hmm. cases you even have to allow that it's being uh, modified. Mm. So okay. nothing happens without you knowing it. And at least that's something already much more advanced than what happens with our health data in Germany, Switzerland, or France. So very often mm. we don't know what's happening with our data. And if you look at the uh, NHS, uh, where Google was involved with providing infrastructure. Uh, yeah, in the UK. They have been using the, in the UK, they have been using data without the patients on it for training uh, their uh, artificial intelligence algorithms. Mm. So, okay. And... So Google has a very bad reputation around health data. So 
So they are not so keen on using this type of technologies, you think? Um, actually, one <laughs> of our uh, team members, he is an ex-Google engineer, and uh, mm -hmm. they were exploring that. And one of the reasons why he left, uh, but that's already many years ago, was that he couldn't uh, follow up the, uh, down the path of using blockchain uh, mm -hmm. and Google. But uh, I mean, nowadays, all the big tech companies are uh, have explored it or are actually exploring it right now. We see that IBM, for example, had a very active history of using blockchain. They even uh, put uh, developed Hyperledger, which, which is one of the protocols that you can use for blockchain building blockchain networks. But they're kind of retreating uh, at the moment, as far as I understand, whereas AWS, uh, that means Amazon Web Service or Oracle, yeah. they are pushing very much. And uh, very often, if you look at Oracle, they're providing like a industry type of a consortium blockchain where the uh, the the participants running the nodes are you can predefine them so it's not really public and everybody can check it so mm -hmm. you can ask yourself where is the trust if all the big companies are actually controlling all the nodes and mm -hmm. nobody mm -hmm. can prevent them for for changing them so but that's a philosophical discussion between if you hear uh, what's a public blockchain which is basically yeah. all the big ones that are using cryptocurrencies like bitcoin ethereum solana uh, and uh, whereas the other ones, the consortium chains are usually more used by by companies. But um, mm -hmm. we see also that uh, the uh, understanding of how a blockchain and how trust is being uh, generated by transparency and immutability, uh, that's really also taking uh, foot in large companies that they see it's public or it's we can use it uh, also. Uh, if we don't use a public blockchain, as we can as well build a centralized system, uh, which probably is much cheaper and much easier to build. I see. So so you mentioned some examples of the, the projects on which you work with the University of Basel to, to track these, um, these vaccines uh, against rabies. Could you, maybe if we take a step back, um, when the DL Foundation was created, what was the, the purpose of it and um, and what is your long-term vision in this regard? Yeah, when we started, uh, I already indicated it earlier, we thought that we um, make it attractive for people to collect the data by giving the health data uh, value. And the idea back then was that um, you can actually... Um, kind of, I mean, selling data sound, sounds very uh, capitalistic, but in the end, it's, uh, you can decide who, uh, uh, when you collect the data, uh, you can decide who uh, can use the data. And that was the idea. Yeah. And some people, uh, they say, uh, you can only use it um, if you pay me. And actually, there are studies out there showing that even very sick people, uh, they like to get paid for the data, even if you argue nowadays, if you contribute your data to research, then it helps not maybe you immediately, but maybe yeah, others who suffer from mm -hmm. the same the same disease, so you should give your data for free. So 
Um, but uh, the idea was really if uh, data gets monetized, the patient should have a part in it. And that's what we wanted to guarantee with uh, tokenizing the data, giving the data uh, uh, a monetary value by tokenizing it. That was the original idea. And then COVID came and we got flooded with a lot of different um, requests like, uh, can we generate PCR test results that cannot be falsified? Mm -hmm. um, so uh, that was... Uh, project in Ukraine together with Roche. Um, they initiated uh, at that time, it was PCR test results. When they were uh, generated, they uh, automatically a digital twin of that test, not the result, but the test ID was uh, again hashed and then written on blockchain. And what happened is that when people showed the QR code of their certificate at a certain mm -hmm. point, uh, at that time it was entering a company site, then uh, you can check if that test result had a digital twin on blockchain. And mm -hmm. if yes, it was not falsified. Uh, if there was no digital twin, then uh, somebody had tampered with the data. Yeah. Uh, so that was one of the projects that we uh, were asked to implement. The other one is, which is still a legacy project that we're doing, is treatment outcome monitoring, yeah. where people, when they reported their, uh, it was with hemophilia patients, when they once a week they reported their bleeding rate. Uh, and then uh, they got um, um, rewarded with tokens uh, for sharing the data. Yeah. Uh, blockchain was used in that case for two purposes. One, uh, incentivizing the, the patients. And the second one is to preserve their privacy. So because pharma companies are not allowed to know who takes their medication, mm -hmm. so they we only knew um, uh, the cryptographic identity, but the people who shared the data, they got tokens, which they then can use in a closed loop system to redeem certain uh, services in the healthcare system. And um, so, and that sounds very simple, but it it took uh, quite a while to establish it. We had mm -hmm. to uh, define a data custodianship, with, which was the national registry, because we don't want any data. And why are those data and treatment outcomes? And that's probably the most valuable data in whole healthcare. Why, why is everybody so eager to have that data? First of all, it's very hard to get real-time data yeah. of treatment effects and for some medication. And when you, once you have it, you can prove uh, that your uh, therapy is actually working or maybe it's not working. But yeah. if it's working, that increases the reward or the refund you get for very expensive uh, medications. And you, uh, some know it uh, under the title of value-based healthcare or treatment mm -hmm. Uh, outcome-based reimbursement. So, yeah. And that's basically how uh, a lot of countries now handle very expensive drugs. You only get paid as a 
therapy provider or a manufacturer if you can prove that the data is working. And our platform uh, in that case uh, is still used to uh, collect the data and to increase the motivation of, of the people to provide the data. They can earn tokens, which they then can use to redeem certain services. And that leads that bridges now to applications that we also have in like fitness um, yeah. and um, healthy behavior, which um, some of you, if you follow blockchain, you see kind of the sweat coins or stepping coins where people engage in certain uh, uh, activities. They, uh, they measure it with sensors uh, like the Apple Watch or Strava accounts, and then they earn tokens. Uh, but that only works, that's kind of a real Ponzi scheme that it only works if the token price is increasing because nobody really uh, provides uh, uh, liquidity or value, i.e. Mm-hmm. money, into the system. And our approach now is... Um, People can also earn tokens with our new wallet that's coming out uh, in next week. And uh, we have piloted that before, uh, that people doing some activities, it's recorded on their Strava account, which is a fitness application. And then automatically, without us having to do something, it was based mm-hmm. on a smart contract, they received uh, tokens depending on their activity. So uh, we got actually quite a large community engaged uh, into uh, being more active and more hopefully more healthy. And uh, but that was just a pilot project. And once you're not really controlling uh, the validity of the data, then you open the door for fraud because mm-hmm. what you see is then people have ten. Uh, fitness accounts in order to earn more and that actually happens with stepping so we establish a system uh, where you can actually uh, uh, earn credibility if you prove that you actually took part in a running event where you had to I mean, you cannot be 10 people there at the running event so it's just one person yeah so that's something that adds to your credibility that also uh, means that when you're earning through the fitness app uh, you earn multiple uh, multiple amounts so yeah. and that's how you um, and that's actually being done by so-called non-fungible tokens nfts that uh, you earn like um, uh, one thing that increases your credibility and then you cannot sell it it's basically attached to your identity um, and that makes you more credible in the system so you can earn more and so that's something we're also releasing uh, the next quarter i see and 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 when you mentioned the monetization you mentioned that you know the tokens can be exchanged around uh, against certain services so i assume that people cannot exchange them against money directly or is this coming to is this going to come or for the moment it's more like services that are health related well you can go 
two routes. I mean, one is you have a pure so-called utility token, which doesn't have any monetary uh, counter value yeah. because it cannot be traded on the crypto exchanges. Um, and that's actually also from a legal point of view, uh, not problematic. So it's not really digital money we are talking about. Yeah. And very often we see that. But if you have a token uh, that can be ex traded and exchanged for Swiss francs or US yeah. dollars, first of all, uh, you are regulated in Switzerland by the FINMA, the mm -hmm. Financial Markets Overseeing uh, Authority, because you you basically minting real money. Uh, so yeah. you have to be regulated. So I've talked to a lot of lawyers um, um, when we set up, <laughs> set up the uh, foundation um, and we have a token that's actually tradable on exchanges. So um, that also makes it attractive for people to be participate in applications because they can earn tokens. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and one of the very simple way of Uh, and that's actually true for a lot of modern blockchains is that with the so-called proof of stake yeah. mechanism uh, that you when you uh, when you own crypto tokens uh, every time um, new blocks are created you have the chance to earn also more tokens mm -hmm. so it's not just uh buying and set, waiting until the price goes up and then selling it. That's actually one mechanism that makes people hold tokens. And uh, so that the more you hold, um, the more you earn, uh, the higher your chances are when the next block is created that you get um, rewarded for helping to create the blocks. In Bitcoin, this is the mining process. Yeah, that the proof of work. Mm -hmm. Proof of work, uh, which is actually the consensus mechanism, which is the new block um, uh, that's being used to prevent fraud, uh, but also which makes it high, uh, highly energy consuming. <laughs> And the original idea is that cheating the system would be so energy consuming that you have to pay so much for electricity that yeah. it's not worth for you doing it cheating the system because uh, that's not uh, really paying you paying out for you whereas in the proof of work uh, proof of stake mechanism it's um, that those credible holders of tokens in the system secure the system and they are helping to create the blocks and that means that if you hold tokens then you earn more tokens and it's the same for our blockchain as well that if you buy tokens uh, of course you have kind of a dividend um, after a while so uh, that is also preventing people just for buying it and dumping it and just speculating so mm -hmm. that's one way of preventing that i see and going back to your activities within the health foundation so you mentioned that you know There is a lot of project-driven initiative. Is there like a set of you know specific services that you can provide to pharma companies or different stakeholders? Yeah, um, we as a foundation, uh, when I mentioned that when pandemic came, uh, mm -hmm. we also uh, with being faced with different opportunities, we decided that we 
uh, will only provide infrastructure. We have our okay. own blockchain. That was also when we decided that we have to start our own blockchain. And we are providing three basic Lego blocks uh, for the users uh, where we think uh, those are essential to build like 95% of all the healthcare projects. Mm -hmm. And we want to make it easy for communities, uh, that's being companies, pharma companies, insurances, uh, or um, one doctor trying to build a blood plasma tracking system in Africa right now, uh, make it easy for those partners to build uh, blockchain applications using dHealth. And the three uh, components that we offer is uh, a wallet. And what does the wallet do? It provides you with an identity on mm -hmm. blockchain and uh, you can manage transactions as an individual user. Um, transactions can be that you pay something or that you allow someone to access data or you send a request to access certain data. Yeah. And this is, uh, then you, with that wallet, you can uh, deny the access, for example, or you can approve it. So mm -hmm. this is basically what the, what the wallet uh, does essentially. And you can manage your digital assets like tokens or the NFTs that I was mentioning, uh, like that you participated in running. So you can manage that. That's the most important uh, Lego block, I would say. The second one is digital money um, and i.e. cryptocurrencies. And why is that so important? I mean, I know crypto has a bad reputation, but that's mainly because Nowadays, the main application is speculation or complex decentralized finance pro, uh, projects to earn more crypto. But what you can use digital money for is, we already touched on incentivizing people. If you uh, take a digital dollar or a digital Swiss franc or euro, uh, you cannot use that for speculation because it has a stable value. Mm -hmm. But being digital means that you can connect it to automized processes um, uh, and automized uh, payment processes. Think about nowadays, if I want to send you money, I have to go through a bank. Yeah. The bank is the middleman. And if the bank says, Eberhard, you don't have enough money on your account or you potentially are on a list, uh, on a blacklist because mm -hmm. you're laundering money. Even if I have the money, I cannot send it to you. So what does blockchain change? It cuts out the middleman. It, can, it allows peer-to-peer -peer transfer. I can directly send you the money and you can, instead of having a person initiated, you can make a digital contract. For example, if I ship something to Ghana and then in the port of Ghana they say yes it has arrived and that's written on a blockchain the digital contract is triggered by that writing of that information mm -hmm. on the blockchain so I get paid in a digital currency nobody uh, has to trigger that uh, yeah, it's payment automated. it's automated and you can think of even and I think like digital or uh Digital contracts as health insurances will be a big thing in the future. For example, we are currently working on a dental plan. Mm 
okay. for kids so that if they prove that they're brushing their teeth, their cavities, uh, and you can actually prove that with AI that's coming mm -hmm. out now. And then uh, your cavities, if you get cavities, then the, the participating doctors in that health plan, they fill it for free. Okay. They repair it for free. So you can, and I think that's one of the big uh, areas ahead and thinking that two thirds of the world's uh, people don't have uh, proper health insurance. This is a big market uh, that's coming. So this is the second component we're talking about. This is digital, digital money that's automizing a lot of and streamlining a lot of uh, processes in healthcare. Mm -hmm. And the third component, which is not there yet, uh, which we are currently building, is a decentralized storage space for uh, personal health data. It's not on blockchain, but it's closely connected to, to blockchain. And people can actually decide that they want to sh store some of their data, for example, their, their dental image. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, on that um, decentralized storage. Mm -hmm. So that means uh, they own the data and they also uh, govern the access to the data. And in dentistry, um, which I found has is very straightforward because it's an out-of-pocket uh, payment market, then you can, once you own the data, you can also share the data with other doctors saying, can you give me like a estimate what you would uh, how much it would cost uh, in your, uh, uh, mm -hmm. you treat me. So that gives the patients kind of freedom also to get second opinions. Yeah. Whereas nowadays, if somebody else is owning your data, you cannot do that. Mm -hmm. So I think with a decentralized storage, uh, apart from a lot of uh, advantages, uh, it gives you kind of a freedom to do whatever you want uh, with your data. And that's the third building block uh, that we're currently also doing some fundraising for, which we uh, want to release uh, early next year. And so we think that those three components will enable most partners in healthcare to build their business logic um, off-chain and mm -hmm. have our components to uh, use the blockchain part that they need. Mm. I see. Uh, so we're currently also improving our documentation uh, so that in the end, what we build currently as projects is just to showcase that yeah, it works. But really, the, um, it's taking off if the community understands and knows how to build on top of your mm -hmm. blockchain. And that's what we're trying to achieve. So we invite everybody who's listening to that podcast, if you have an idea, come to me uh, and we can think how you can do it uh, uh, using the blockchain. But still, of course, this is your application. We are not owning anything. You're just using a certain part of the technology. Mm. That's, that's really, really interesting. And I was wondering, um, we've already mentioned lots of many applications. Is there like, you know, an application that gets that comes up often in, in the media regard, related to healthcare, which you think is not really relevant to, to blockchain? Because from the outside perspective, it seems to be the answer to many different issues. Is there something where you, 
from your perspective, it's really not applicable? Well, the f uh, I mean, the two mistakes that uh, I see again and again, one is that people say you're putting data on blockchain, yeah. which is not true because mm -hmm. uh, if you do that, you're violating GDPR because you cannot uh, execute the right to be forgotten. And it doesn't make sense to store large uh, sets of data on blockchain. So that's one of the um, uh, misunderstandings that's being copied and copied again by, yeah. by the media. And uh, very often, uh, I would say it's really, you shouldn't do all on blockchain. I mean, it's a very specific uh, use case, sharing data, having one uh, transparent source of truth, digital money. Uh, and apart from that, you really have to think uh, hard if it makes sense to build everything on blockchain because uh, there's certainly a lot of limitations to the technology. Mm -hmm. um, and so you, people have to question themselves, does it really make sense to build something on blockchain at all? Mm -hmm. Is it not much easier to to build it uh, in a traditional centralized way? Yeah, but of course uh, you could do you could build whole healthcare systems uh, using blockchain technology, and the core the core uh, that you um, the core aspect you should look into is that is you changing data ownership really from centralized to patient-controlled uh, mm -hmm. data. Okay. No, thanks so thanks for, for taking us through all of that from, you know, the, the, the very ground concept to very concrete applications in healthcare. I think it will, it will be quite eye-opening to, to, to everyone listening. Um, I'm quite conscious of the time. Um, at the end of the episode, I, um, I ask a couple of frequent questions to, to every guest and the first one would be what resources would you recommend us to check out in order to know more about you know the field in which you evolve be it books publications websites um yeah i mean blockchain is such a vibrant ecosystem that everything i recommend now is already outdated because <laughs> everything changes so fast so but if you really want to understand the concept of blockchain there's one of the classic books is Blockchain Revolution by Don Tapscott. That's certainly, although it's mm -hmm. already four years old, that's ages in blockchain already, but still it describes the basic concept quite well and why it's so revolutionary. And if you want to update yourself um, on a more daily basis, then the websites that usually also have some explanatory uh, material uh, of the basics that uh, Bloomberg Tech or Bloomberg mm -hmm. Crypto is very good. Uh, then the, the uh, Coindesk.com is certainly the biggest uh, uh, news site on crypto, then cointelegraph.com. Those are the three um, websites I would recommend if you want to update you on um, the concepts and but also want to follow what's going on on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, I'll put the links in, in the description. Could you share with us an, an anecdote from your work which made you realize the impact that you're having on patients' lives? 
It's actually uh, that the treatment monitoring um, uh, that I've described earlier. Hemophilia case. Very, yeah, it's very rewarding to see that people are, um, almost all people that you're offering it to, they want to participate in and mm -hmm. that they want to contribute the data. And uh, that's really what we hoped for, the, the motivation um, First of all, giving the people uh, the opportunity to share their data for a purpose, uh, but also that they are part, that they can be part uh, uh, of the monetization in that case, i.e. that they can improve, uh, get some of the services uh, for free or at a reduced price by mm -hmm. uh, using the tokens. So that's really what we had hoped for. Um, and. But again, that's a very, uh, very specific use of blockchain through tokens mm -hmm. um, around that. But that's was rewarding to see that this really worked the way we had hoped. Mm. And that's that's great to hear. And last recurring question would be: Who would you suggest as a potential future guest for the podcast, and and why? So one of our advisors is Alex Kahana. He's a medical doctor who lives in New York City. Uh, he originally comes from Israel, and he does a lot of uh, traveling and exploring blockchain projects uh, around the world. And he has uh, a lot of contacts and experience in sub-Saharan Africa. Mm -hmm. uh, and also in uh, middle as Latin America. And why is that so important? Because uh, there you hear that people are really building projects um, on, on blockchain because uh, there's nothing there and yeah. uh, they can use the, the platform, the technology to solve real problems. And that is very interesting to see because living in switzerland um, that always gives you the idea that in such rich countries everything should work mm -hmm. uh, and the contrary is the case as we yeah. have seen in the pandemic that digitization is is just uh, not taking place whereas in countries where you start to build uh, uh, from the grounds you can already mm -hmm. leapfrog certain developments and have very uh, fast buildup of of use cases because you're not competing with any existing stakeholders mm -hmm. or solutions that somebody has uh, built with a lot of money and they want to basically uh, get the return uh, from from invest mm -hmm. from their investment yeah, so there is less friction for for adoption in yeah. a way. Um, how can we get in touch with you, or for LinkedIn per email, in case people have you know projects, proposals, or ideas to share? Uh, you can go through our website, or you can reach me through LinkedIn. Uh, LinkedIn, mm -hmm. just message me on LinkedIn. That's probably the easiest way. Um, and there, uh, you don't end up in the spam folder. <laughs> you can also uh, write me an email, which is es, like Eberhard Scheuer, mm -hmm. es at dhealth.foundation. Okay. All right. And before we wrap up, is there anything you'd like to add? Uh, I've already talked so much, so <laughs> I don't think I have to add many more things. Uh, but uh, keep in mind uh, that... 
it's the technology that we're talking about and forget about all the crypto yeah. ups and downs that we we see. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a technology that has real use for very specific use cases in healthcare. So we are very confident that if you do, if you look in five years for participants in the podcast, we're still there. <laughs> That's great to hear. Well, thank you so much, Everard, for, for your time and, and all the sharing. You're welcome, Mathieu. So good luck with your podcast and <laughs> talk to you soon. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. All the notes are available in the episode description. Don't hesitate to share it with your relatives, friends or colleagues and subscribe to the podcast. Also, I would be really grateful if you could leave a positive evaluation on Apple Podcasts. It really helps Impulse move up in the rankings. Feel free also to reach out to me by email or through LinkedIn if you want to share your feedback, questions or suggest potential guests. Thanks and see you in the next one.